Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Store Podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 11. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks. Hello. And Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Hello. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10. Or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get to your comments and questions towards the end of the show, but feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. So before we get into this week's episode, uh, let's do a quick rundown of what everyone is working on. Shall we? Okay. What happened this week? What happened this week? Okay. I made my table. That, that's about, um, everyone see that yet? Um, yeah, that was really good. I really enjoyed that. Oh, it's a was, copy of a design. It's a copy of a design. It's not the, even mine. The original, man. Jesus. Um, I, I must original. say, uh, credit to you, Joe, for, for mentioning the fact that you used his design and went to him and asked. Like most people would just go ahead and, and not care. That was that was pretty cool. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I figured he's on Instagram. He's I'm on Instagram. He's going to see my pictures of it on Instagram. And to be honest, I just think the design is awesome. And mm. as you might remember me talking about the dining table, my, what I was going to do, and it's completely different to what that is. Mm. Um, and w- when I saw that, I was like, that's it. Forget yeah. my stupid drawings. <laughs> Let's do this cool thing. <laughs> I, have to admit, I did go and click on the link to his Instagram and find yeah. that table. And yeah. I, was, I wasn't expecting it to be exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of expecting it to be very similar. Yeah, I was like, "Holy crap, that is the same table." It's okay. almost, I can, I don't know. If you look at it, there's definitely differences, but um, the biggest difference in mine being the the joint in the middle of the legs. I did a way simpler version, right? But actually, I think I prefer my version more. But maybe that's just because I did it. But <laughs> what was the name of that joint? I didn't really. I, it started well, I, with. I just, yeah, I just did a half lap. Yeah. Oh, half, half lap. I yeah. heard a harbor joint. Oh, right. Oh, sure. that's interesting. I've never heard of a harbor <laughs> joint before. I heard Harvard. I think you might have misspoke. I probably that- just slurred my way through yeah, it like 11 right. p.m. and just like get get the voiceover done. <laughs> I just thought it was a weird Kiwi term. Yeah. <laughs> One question. As a, as a, a, a beginner joiner, do dominoes just make everything easy? Because watching oh, you just put the whole thing together with dominoes, I'm yeah. kind of thinking, well, what am I wasting my time with anything else for? Yeah, I I was thinking about this because somebody commented on the video, uh, David, if you're watching, hi, David. Um, and he said uh, something almost like that. Thank God for the domino or something. Mm. And I was thinking afterwards, yes, in a word, I don't think, I could have done that build the way I did it without the domino. Um, I think or it could the time. Be, no, absolutely. That yeah. the time was the, the biggest thing. This is a personal job, and I needed to get it done. But that was one point of view. Um, second, uh, yeah, you could definitely do that uh, by hand, but a lot more time, a lot more time. At the joinery would probably be way stronger though as well. I actually came up with a cool way to do it. Um, some of the joinery I came up with a really interesting way to do it but I was like 
stuff this. It's going to take me all day. I'm just going to throw a domino in this. And I said in the video too, I just relied on the epoxy doing what it was doing because there's a lot of end grain to end grain joinery. And, and the you know, epoxy that, works for the end grain. The epoxy is doing that. Um, right. The dominoes are stopping doing some mechanical stopping of things breaking, but really the epoxy is. Oh, right. Real okay. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Cause yeah. I know John, you've used dominoes quite often for your, like the table you did a couple of weeks back. Yeah. Is that, is that a fairly strong join? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's no different from the floating mortise and tannin. It's just, you're limited on the sizes. So often if I'm doing a really big joint, not so much anymore that I have the slot mortiser, but if you're doing a big one, you can just kind of make the joint wider by moving the domino over by 20 mil and lining up the next mm. crosshair. And then you get a longer contact area in that joint. Mm. And I personally don't think it's any weaker than a tra traditional mortise and tenon joint mm. if it's cut well. Uh, as in, you've got um, the standard factory dominoes, so they actually fit in there really well and they have the, mm -hmm. you know, how dowels and biscuits swell up a bit, same sort of thing with dominoes. Um, so I think it's just as strong. I don't mm. necessarily like using it all the time, but for what I do, which is time is money, and the less time I spend on something, the more money it is in my pocket, I just mm. can't live without it, even... Even with slot mortises and all of that, I'll still use. You know, uh, you said, sorry, um, Jordan, you said, uh, Robin, should I even bother with the joinery? Um, I think you definitely need to go down that learning path. For one, just basic skill set, because it changes how you work anyway. But also to understand the limitations of the domino for a start. Mm. When you actually make your own mortise and tenon or sliding dovetail joint, whatever it is, you become very aware of suddenly, um, actually this domino, while it's working in its application, it's probably on the limit and I should probably actually throw the domino back on the shelf and go, go to my chisels. Yeah. Okay, um, fair enough, yeah. There's definitely a learning curve there, um, I think. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that, that makes sense. Um, it was just it was just very eye-opening to see every join be like that yeah. and to think you know i probably don't have the kind of i mean what's it what's it i think a domino yeah. from carbotech is 1200 for the small one without yeah. all the cutters and biscuits yeah yeah right so like why not just save up for six months yeah. and then just buy that and then yeah, i can make anything could. i want yeah you could <laughs> The thing about the domino I found anyway is once you have it, you start designing with it in mind. Yeah. Like you, you start limiting yourself on how you design something because the domino will speed it up. Um, but then again, it also opens up things like tricky joinery. You can cut the joinery deeper than it has to be and then cut a curve into that mm. joint. And then, you know, use router templates and it's easier to do it like that than it is to say, do it by hand. Um, so it opens up windows, but you find, at least for me, you design with it in mind thinking this has to be a butt joint mm. with a domino. I think yeah, over, overall, I tend to kind of say, if this is a modern job, like a kitchen or like my tables, a modern thing, I don't you mind using modern tools. But if someone's ordering something that's classical in nature, I'll, I'll do it classically, as classically yeah. as I can. 
just I just think I've no I've never really thought about it, but just now thinking about it, it makes sense that that's kind of how I see it. I try and do it as honestly as possible, depending on the piece. And I guess as well, your there's so many curves going into that build. So the the design is is all those curves and how they come together. You don't now need some magic joinery or you know whether it's shown or not all the design all the the features are already there the joinery just has to be done whereas you know a lot of the time the joinery is the wow feature which you're not interested in this case yeah that's right Mm. so john what have you been on uh i have been doing a dining table surprise surprise for for a customer uh it's been it's a really geometrically challenging build though. Like I've been doing one cut, standing back, scratching my head for ages <laughs> and figuring out how am I going to clamp this? How am I going to do the next thing and which order to do it? Um, and basically what I thought would take me like five days to have in finish well, today's day six and it's still sitting out there, not in finish, <laughs> but two, two, Two days of that has been waiting for the client to actually find the time to pop in and have a chat Um, because I'm waiting. He he kind of originally wanted these inlays in the top and I was never all that keen on the idea. Um, And then I sent him a photo and I photoshopped in on the, the inlay and he said, yeah, I'm not sure about that either. I might come in and have a look. Uh, so yeah, basically it's just waiting on <laughs> waiting on the client to come in and say yes, so I can finally cut the top down to size, and then start spraying. Mm. Um, other than that, what else? There's something else I've been working on, but I cannot for the life of me remember. <laughs> Can't be that important. <laughs> uh, yep. No. Go ahead, Rob. That's it. Well, I finally, after probably about two months, finished that damn dining table. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so happy to just finally have it out of the way and done. Um, should have the video coming out this weekend for it. I've, I've got to the last bit of the edits, about to start the voiceover. Yeah, super happy that it's done. It's, it's, I'm kind of in the shop at the moment. I was in here today, um, and I didn't know what to do because I, I don't have the dining table to do. <laughs> so I'm kind of lost. Like, um, uh, my day job has also actually just been very busy this week. So it's it's kind of worked out well. I've been having to focus on that. So besides the dining table, I actually haven't been in the shop very much. Mm-hmm. The, the only other thing that I've been doing is working outside on the cladding of the house. I got oh, yeah. another section up. So I can sort of do, takes me about two hours to do a 2.4 by 1200 area so then every other day i'll go out there in the afternoon just put in a couple hours and do a panel so i'm hoping this weekend i'll be finished with that so yeah it's been my been my week so let's move on to the topic and this is one that joey was super keen to talk about (laughs) so it's blame it on uh, me it's uh no no well i mean i think it's a very interesting topic uh, especially for people who um, either have a, 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 a business in a wood shop or are thinking about going into it because this could affect you. So it's it's about the importance of overhead allocation and then the actual costs of a job and the actual profits of a job. So, Joey, I'll let you go ahead and, and okay. introduce it. Right. Well, okay. Let's see. So 
I guess that we should probably start off, off by saying that um, as most people who want to become self-employed uh, would generally, generally fall under the entrepreneur um, kind of banner and generally entrepreneurs are pretty good at coming up with ideas and being creative and taking some risks, which is great. That's how we make things. But uh, we're not that good at analytical thinking and kind of day-to-day business running. It's a completely different side of, of the business. And, and in my experience of what I hear, most people kind of slack off in that area or just kind of wing it um, and kind of deal with the money side of things as they go, which is um, not the best idea, uh, especially if you're trying to feed your family off, um, off what you're doing. And, or trying to get to that point anyway. So, um, uh, so where do I start with this? So, uh, when I was in business coaching quite a few years ago, um, one of the first things they ask you for is where's all your, um, uh, where's your list of your actual costs and figures for, for all your jobs. And then we can compare it in six months time and we can show you how much we're helping you to improve your business. And of course, everyone says, well, I don't have, what, what do you mean, actual cost spreadsheets? I mean, that makes sense to business-minded people, but not to people who are just more um, into the trade rather than the business, if you know what mm. I mean? It's not, they're not just... A, they're not accountants. They are doing right. a thing, which is their business, yeah. yeah. You're, you're not there, yeah, like you said. <laughs> so <laughs> the most important thing is to be able to track your actual costs. So to work out what a piece of furniture is worth, what are you going to charge the client? You need to work out what it's going to cost you, actually cost you first. And um, so I don't know, I'm probably going to ramble. So you guys just jump <laughs> in and, and stop me whenever. <laughs> well, I'm interested, to, I'm interested to hear how you break that up because something like a bottle of, if a simple example, something like a, a bottle of wood glue. Yeah. How do you make that a cost allocated to a job? I mean, that's, surely that's just impossible. Well, it's so uh, there's a good example. So um, while you may not be able to predict um, that you're going to need to buy that bottle of glue when you're doing the quote, that's perfectly normal. Um, and you could allow, even if you want, you could say there could be an unforeseen uh, costs that you might even add into your quote, like into 5% of unforeseen, who knows what I'm going to have to pay yeah. for. That's one way to cover that kind of thing, but also boosts the price up by 5%. Um, the other way it is what, which is what I do is I quote for the job and I work out the materials I need. And let's say I need to buy an extra bottle of glue. Say it's cost me $20. Um, that goes onto my spreadsheet of for that job of actual costs. So I bought my timber, I bought some screws, and I bought some hinges for the job, and now I've got to add on a bottle of glue. So that just goes into my actual cost for that job. So it cost me an extra twenty dollars than I thought it was going to. Yeah. Um, that means I can still use that glue on the next job, so it doesn't matter. I don't have to. Yeah, because that's my that. that's where I was going with the example is yeah. when you've got when you buy glue in bulk. Yeah, you know yeah. now you've got to split it up for the jobs. How? Yeah, how do you perfect do? example. So I buy thirty liters of glue mm-hmm. at a time by a bucket, 
Yeah. And I, it cost me 200 about I think it was $230 for the bucket, uh, which, which if you work it out is half the cost of what you're buying at the any Yeah, I was just about store. to say, I buy <laughs> 30 bucks for a little, you know, a little yeah. squirty juice. Yeah. yeah. So that's why you should buy it in bulk. But yeah. um, so it cost me for, say, one job, $230. I just take it on the chin. I lose $230 on that job, assuming, assuming it fits into that job's budget. You know, like the job's got to be worth at least $230. So you're yeah. still seeing the glue as part of the job. You're not just seeing the glue as part of a functioning woodworking shop. The way because no, well, no, I'm interested to hear what you say, but I'll put a point. Yeah. After that, well, because um, in my mind, I need to that needs to be bought and paid for and, and done. I don't want to have to keep thinking about actually having to pay that off for the next 30 jobs or whatever. Yeah, okay, okay. I see what you're I saying. I just want yeah. it yeah. allocated for, paid for, and then I and then I can still allocate, say, a, a, um, a regular amount, say, ten dollars per for glue per job. Yeah, um. And that actually just becomes profit because I'm not buying glue. So these costs aren't getting added on to your invoice. It's just onto your costs. No, right? onto the actual cost of the job. Yeah. So it doesn't change anything because what, no. what I was going to say is the way I operate with my jobs is I have a consumables fee that I add on to every kind of job. Saying it's a dining table, there'll be like I'll add $30 onto it and that will cover the the glue that's used, any of the biscuits that are used in the top, the dominoes yeah. and the joinery, yeah. that covers that. But what you're saying, and now that you've said it doesn't go onto the invoice, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, that's not something I do. I will I'll lodge it. So say I've spent $250 on my 25-liter bucket of tight mom. Mm -hmm. I will lodge that as a business expense right away, but I don't put it onto the job file. Right. So in that case then, just to get technical, do you then break down the cost? So you must have an average idea of how long that glue is going to last you, say six months, for example. Yeah. And then do you, you must have to say, well, in six months, I'm probably going to get, say, I don't know, 20 jobs. I, and then and I divide it by the jobs. In, right. And so yeah, that's so how I'm, you pay I divide it by what I expect. Yeah. Yeah. So what it will last and what sort of jobs I expect. And sometimes it's obviously paid for faster. And yeah. sometimes I'm still paying for it by the time the next bottle of glue comes along, which is where it's mm -hmm. not as efficient as your style of yeah, well, I think the job cost. Both our styles have the same net result and that oh, the glue totally. is paid for. Yeah. I just like the fact that. It's being done. I don't have to think about it anymore. Once it's that job for, is paid for, it's like a little loan. Yeah. That's right. The next job is done and done. Um, so, uh, so uh, where was I with my points? Mm -mm 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 -mm. Just, just before we move off that, does yep. that not mean then that your, the customer who's paying for mm -hmm. that glue is now taking one on the chin? And that's almost not fair on them because it doesn't you know, change the cost. It doesn't the change the cost of the, of the job to the customer. It only changes the cost of the job to me. You think about the cost in a different way. Like, what Basically, does it cost me? That's different to what it costs the client. Yeah, the cost, it say, your profit. I've got a breakdown here. I can tell you. Uh, I've, I've made an example, so this make make it more clear. All right. Um, so let's say I have a job for a thousand dollars. Going to make a thing. Total cost, including tax and everything, 
thousand dollars to the client. Um, I buy my materials, four hundred dollars, and let's say that's what it actually cost me. Now, um, I may have quoted five hundred dollars of materials, so I just made a hundred bucks. Score good for me. Um, that's just what it is. Now, the client's not going to pay more than a thousand dollars, no matter what. So let's say I actually suddenly ran out of glue, and instead of paying four hundred dollars for materials, and I had enough to add on another two hundred and thirty dollars, that just means I lose two hundred thirty dollars from that job. All right, so your profit that margin just pays, shrinks. That job okay. pays for that that um, whatever I need to buy that bottle of glue. Um, gotcha. So so in this same scenario, if I go back to thousand dollar job minus four hundred dollars. Of materials and then becomes the most important part is I take out my overhead costs which for me is $25 an hour I have to charge $25 for every hour that I work and that includes 19 items um, and so I can run a few of those things are accountant fees bank fees my van maintenance diesel uh, road tolls warrant of fitness for the car website hosting and associated things, my PO box, uh, my power, water, insurance, rubbish removal, my council rates and holiday pay, etc. for myself. So that all works out to $25 an hour. <laughs> that, so you've obviously That's, worked it out and broken it up into an hourly rate. Yeah. I would so put it on a spreadsheet, work it out annually, work it out monthly, yeah. work it out weekly. Um, That's... Quite, I mean, substantially lower than what my overhead cost per hour is. But are right. you assuming that your hourly rate is based on you working X amount of days in that month? It's based off a forty-hour week. So, for so you've broken it down by hours per week. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the the biggest, um, and I'm kind of I'm kind of going all over the place with how I was thinking this conversation was going to go. So. Um, <laughs> if I go back to my example, I'll, I'll carry on running through that. Um, so I had $1,000 minus 400 materials minus $160 of overheads. And that's based on a random alley, whatever I've decided for this job. Um, that gives me $440 left. I then have to take out tax and GST, just 30%. That sounds high, and it is. But what that does, yeah. It, yeah. But what that does is absolutely cover me for when the tax bill comes in, and right. paying yeah. the government GST. And there's a little bit left over as a buffer. That's a, like a little business emergency buffer zone, and anything that's left over in that account is for, like what happened to me last month, mm. where suddenly uh, all the um, Holiday bills came in, and I had no work come in, and so I had to steal some money, and that's what that accounts for. So at the end of that thousand dollar job, I get three hundred eight dollars in my pocket. Um, I bet. And you've paid uh, your assistant. Uh, well, let's assume for this case that that was part of the actual cost for the job. Okay. Um, I didn't think about it for this example, but. I'm going to um, tell them. <laughs> so the way I, I work with the cash is that $308, which is my profit, um, 
stays in the business account until and we draw weekly as drawings mm-hmm. and, and put that money in our personal account. So we, we know how much money we need. Let's say, for example, I need to pay myself $500 a week for my own personal living costs. I only draw that much out. I don't take everything that I could take out. That just leaves my, my, my business account with some extra money in there. Mm. Um, and, I, and it kind of is good for the bank. Um, and then I just take out what I need from the business um, as, as a, you know, every week as it goes along. Um, that's something I, I wouldn't mind. We don't need necessarily talk about it today, <laughs> but that aspect of the money in the business, um, keeping it there, pulling it out. Um, I think that's an interesting one to go into. I didn't realize that it was a good idea to keep the money in the business account. I didn't even think yeah, that was well, a thing. Good for, one, it's good for cash flow. Um, yeah. And two, it, whatever, depending on your bank and how much money you have in there, the more money you have in a bank, the better interest you can get from it. doesn't necessarily work with an everyday account, but it depends how your bank's set up and all that kind of guff. Yeah, yeah, okay. So by contrast, my my system for for calculating overheads is done at this stage anyway. Maybe you're converting me, but I do it by the day. So... Just like you, I have a spreadsheet with everything that I have reliably coming out of my bank. So whether it be my business loan or, you know, uh, my bills, so my phone bills, my internet, my um, power and all of that, including businesses and included in that is my rent. Um, And basically, I break that down to the monthly cost all up. So for me, you know, it's roughly four and a half grand roughly. Um, and then I will do a conversion of saying this month I will be working for 26 days and I divide it by that. And then I know that on a project, if I'm calculating this project will take me six days, I will you know, charge six times, let's say, $36 an hour, a day mm-hmm. I should say. And then that's my overheads cost. And then I look at price and materials obviously on top of that. And there's also a thing of some t- some projects you can't charge as much as others. Like mm. no one's going to charge. So a coffee table has the same amount of work as a dining table, but no yeah. one will pay the same price for a coffee table. Yeah. And so, we're certainly you know, not going to charge the same for a dining table. <laughs> exactly. So sometimes I might only be working on, you know, $3 an hour yeah. in theory because on the quote, you know, I've, mm. I've quoted it quite low. But at least all of my costs are covered and everything that is out of my pocket. But I'm also, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate being my age and not having a mortgage. I think it's fortunate. But, you know, I haven't got any really big expenses that aren't related yeah. to the business every month other than food. So, yeah, I, there was something I was going to bring up actually is that I have the same issue um, that it appears, I think the way it appears is the bigger the job, the better the value because the overhead cost gets spread out and can be consumed into the job much easier. When you say the job, you mean into the profit because there's a bigger profit margin? Uh, Well, okay, for example, I'm just working on um, a kitchen job and let's say um, I'll just make up the number. um, It's going to cost $9,000, for example. Built into that might be $1,500 worth of overheads. Um, That is an acceptable 
cost for a kitchen. People people tend to think twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars for kitchens. So nine thousand, yeah, sure, I can pay nine thousand. But when you go and bring it down to a jewelry box, um, which has arguably more work than a kitchen, uh, no one's going to pay fifteen hundred dollars for that box, let alone fifteen hundred dollars just in overheads. Um, yeah. And so that is where the value and the perceived value, I think, comes into it, where um, is it worth your while as a maker? And I think that's when it comes down to um, am I just in this to make money or am I really in it to make, enjoy enjoy what I'm doing? I'll lose money on this job and then I'll make my money on the kitchen job. Yeah. Mm. For, for me, I'm in exactly right. I'm doing it a lot of the time for the enjoyment and I don't think about the money, but as long as I can cover the actual costs that need covering on a job and so a good example is a jewelry box, then I would maybe take it on. Mm. But what customers often, I get requests for, because I do the end grain chopping boards on my website, people often email me asking, oh, I need a custom 500 by 600 mil chopping board. Mm-hmm. And I just I instantly email them back saying, look, I'm happy to quote for this, but the minimum price is going to be $550. Yeah. Because the reason these ones are cheap is I make 10 at a time, but when I make your one, I'm making one. Yeah. So instantly the cost of you know overheads and cost of the job yeah. aren't spread out between six different or 10 different projects, yeah. they're targeted on this one little one. That's and exactly out of interest, do people ever pay that? Uh, I have had one person try and bring it down from 550 to six, oh, sorry, $550 to $400. Um, and that was the most they were willing to pay, and I still said no. Jeez. Because even 400 bucks for a, for a breadboard, well, a chopping board is it's pretty, it's pretty rough, I'd it, say. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the amount of work that goes in, I don't think it's unreasonable. Oh, no, no, but I'm saying in terms of perceived value. But perceived value yeah. is, yeah, it seems like, Jesus, I could pay off a chunk of my car loan for that yeah. so, instead yeah. I'm going to put it on a piece of wood. <laughs> the, same, the same thing with those chairs I built a little while ago. Um, one chair is going to be about $1,000 if you just order one. <clears throat> if you order six they're three hundred dollars each. Yeah, Jeez. that's just that's how it works when you're making lots of stuff at once. <laughs> it's way yeah, too. It's spread out between each piece, and that's how come um, people mass produce billions of things at once because it's so cheap. Yeah, and, and, you know, um, but that is not really the game we're in. And so the balance is finding one finding customers who actually want to spend money on quality. Um, products. That, that's where I'm stuck at the moment. Yeah. And and two, just finding that price point where you can pay the bills and do what you love. It's uh, yeah, interesting. One one thing I find difficult, and I don't know if I don't know how what your prices are like, but I find it difficult in approaching different markets because if you are doing something for let's say three and a half thousand dollars, which is good, reasonable, but this upper class client mm. was expecting it to be ten thousand dollars just mm. because it's what they can afford. Yeah. Then you might lose that job. So do yeah. you quote high and then ring it down for those sorts of clients, or do you just stick with what you think is good, which is going to cover your things, and you're still going to make a profit? Yeah, I struggle with that all the time. So 
that has definitely happened to me. Uh, I got the job, but after explaining and actually almost giving a, a breakdown of the actual quote so the client can actually see that the wood doesn't cost $5,000. Like yeah. the timber for your table is only going to cost you $1,800. It was like quarter sawn French oak or something. It's not that expensive. Um, and so I yeah, ended up getting that job, but it was definitely a bit of a, how come it's so cheap? What are you going to use? You know, I want to guarantee. Um, yeah, that something I have been playing with is just gross profit on jobs. Like I might price a job and say, and I guess it, this comes to the uh, market value approach of pricing. I'll price a job at say a thousand dollars. And then I look around and generally in stores and wherever something similar might be $2,000. So I say, all right then, well, I've got to charge at least $2,000. If that's what is market value, I could be a really nice guy and and charge a thousand and some often I do, but I have been playing with this, this idea of let's just charge what I think is worth and see what the client says. And I'd say at the moment it's like a 50% hit rate of, um, getting the jobs and being told it's way too expensive. So it's interesting. Mm. Yeah. See that, that market approach is, um, yeah, market value. I do that on smaller projects. So mm. let's say a whole table, like you can't really see it in this camera, but the one that's behind me, I will look at, you know, nicer furniture retail stores and see what a similar sized mm. solid wood unit is selling for because I could make that for less than $100 in materials because it's just stock that's on yeah. the shelf. Yeah. But obviously, if I'm only going to charge a day's labor and $100, people are going to start perceiving my quality as being <laughs> cheap and a piece of crap. So I often will implement yeah. what a store is charging $700 for. Well, mine's handmade, it's handcrafted, I know it's better quality. Yeah. You can charge I'm, gonna charge I'm gonna charge a hundred dollars more. Yeah. I'm not gonna be greedy, but I'm also not gonna sell myself short. But and I think some people would get the impression that we're greedy bastards for doing that and to say, Oh, you just made like four hundred dollars gross profit for for nothing. But, but the next project that comes along, we might right. only make like two dollars gross that's, by the time all the little things pop up. That's right. But that is why you can take on the jewelry box job. Yeah. Because you just got paid. And so then you can get, you can say to the client, fine, you want to pay for the Indian rosewood for your jewelry box. That's what it's going to cost. Well, you don't say it like that, but you'll say it's going to cost you $400 and yeah. that's what the timber costs. And you just got paid $400 extra from the last job. And that yeah. makes it worthwhile. Um, but you and can't really explain afford to keep doing yeah. it for the next month as well. Yeah. But you can't explain that to a client. As soon as you say that, like <laughs> they're yeah. out, it's very difficult. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so Joey, you've talked about you. I think you had 19 points there. Like that's mm-hmm. your overheads. Mm-hmm. Is that very fluid, or is that is that set in stone now for the next foreseeable future? That's all. It's like, do you well, put a buffer into that, or is that um, exactly what it is? Well, we know what the bills will be. Um, so, unless a company, an insurance company puts up their premiums, we know that we're going to have to pay X amount for insurance. Um, but I mean, more from the perspective of, I think it would be very tempting to just say it's a rough amount. 
So I'm just going to put a rough amount in. So I know my, you know, my, my yeah. electric bill is anywhere around this. So I'll just put this in. Yeah. Is that a good way to do it? Or should you be, would you rather well, be specific on the, on the money? Um, I prefer to be specific because then you can actually do some comparisons. And I, that's a little bit how we got into trouble last month. Um, where I had been forgetting to do some paperwork allocating t- um, money for my petrol and some of the van running costs. And there was a couple of other things to do with my employee having to pay holiday pay and things like that. And suddenly money's coming out of the account way quicker than it was going in it for a little while. And we did, had you know worked out what is going on. Okay, shit, we need to add a couple of extra dollars an hour here and, and here to... Um, uh, yeah, cover ourselves. What we also did, okay, so I'll, I'll say two things here. The the overhead costs, the money is always leaving the account. It's not like we're just building that overhead stash up. It builds up and then 20th of the month, it goes down again. And then it builds up over the month and drops back down. So that's definitely a, uh, a, a floating amount of money of overhead allocation. And we keep that in a spreadsheet because all the money in the business account is just accumulated and it's, you need to keep track of it somehow. Um, and my second point is gone. <laughs> I was going to say something else. <laughs> it's gone. I, I hear you talk, I hear you saying, Joey, we all the time. Is this like, so do you and well, your wife? My, in a, in a my wife does. So I do, I, I quote jobs. I do all the, invoicing for jobs and dealing with the customer my wife does the tax returns and deals with the accountant and she knows the numbers much better um, oh, she's man, actually I need, I need to get me a wife yeah. <laughs> she's actually uh, just applying to go to uni to um, get a proper certificate in uh, bookkeeping so oh um, that's um, that's pretty cool yeah so um yeah so i do as much as I can that I, I can um, and then kind of pass off. That's why we have the spreadsheets where we can both access it and we both are getting different information from that, the spreadsheet. Um, so, we, yeah, we're both using the, the same information. So, uh, And Jordan, quick, you do everything your, yourself? Uh, well, yes, I don't have anyone that can do it for me, but do I do it? timely and uh, reliably <laughs> that's the different no i'm i'm still like probably two three months of backlog sometimes in a lot of my bookkeeping but of late uh what i've started doing is with any receipt that's related to a job and i haven't filed it yet but it's like pinned up on a board and it's after talking to joey about the kind of job file uh, i will be doing that from now on so at the end of every job at least if I can keep that, um, you know, the motivation to do it, mm-hmm. I'll be able to lodge it, costings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, also, I do, sorry, carry on. I, I was just going to say, I do use QuickBooks, which is like right. the, on, on my phone, on my iPad, on my computer. Like it's always on me. So often if it's just a like say I, yesterday I bought, um, you know, the bulk pack of sandpaper, it was 100 bucks, and it was right there in the car. I took a photo of it and I just put that down as an expense. Mm. So, I mean, I try and keep that going. Uh, but, yeah, I'm terrible, to be honest. <laughs> when I got um, – because I've only had this business registered for, yeah, 
it's, it's going on 12 months, no, probably just under maybe 11 months. So I did, I obviously had to do my tax returns for the first time on this business yeah. in October. <laughs> and when I got told how much tax I, I was paying, I was like, <laughs> from this moment on, everything will be expensed because I'm not going to get nailed on a, on a, on a profit margin. That's not exactly what it should be. Every year. Cause I think <laughs> yeah. because this is a second job for me, I, I think. Uh, my, yeah. You have a high profit, tax rate. Yeah. I think my yeah. profit was around the two grand mark and I had 800 bucks in tax. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's just because. Of, yeah. I, that, I, I actually haven't got an accountant yet. Um, oh, okay. Well, that's like, tough. Which is really hard. Cause at the end of the year I'm trying to, because apparently QuickBooks will do it all for you and it's easy to go through it. Mm. But the actual system, so last year, as in last financial year, I almost had a bill of like five grand yeah. because I entered the, the info wrong. And then I went yeah. back. I was like, oh, cra- okay, so that's where you put your actual expense. <laughs> and then it came back to be like, I actually think I, I got some money back. Not much. It was like 50 bucks, but still. Um, yes, the- at, at the risk of giving financial advice, which I will say I'm not giving financial advice, um, having a business that has uh, running at a loss or very high expenses officially is um, pretty good on the old tax. Yeah. My problem last year was I went away on my touring show and every time I go away, it's like 10, 11 grand. Right. But it's I have to invoice them and instead of going through the hard way of figuring out how to have two different ABMs and yeah. all that crap, I just did it through the business um, invoicing system, and that was that was a mistake. Yeah, right. Never done um, that again. I was going so, to say. Yeah, go, sorry, Jordan. you go, Joe. You go, Joe. Uh, so I was going to say before uh, on the job file, it's a very, um, I think it's a well, it's a really good idea. I keep all the job files, so so I keep anything to do with a specific job in its own file, which seems to make sense i imagine most people do that um i keep all my completed accepted jobs i've got all the files from every job i've ever done so if that client comes back to me i can just open the file often i don't remember them if it's quite a while ago yeah i can look at the drawings of what i made them and i can go oh right i remember this job this this was an awesome client or oh my god i don't want to work for these people again i'd be too busy yeah um, you know, so for a start, that's a really good way just to have a reminder of what it is that you did for them. But I also keep, and maybe more importantly, I keep a list of all the jobs I don't get. And I've got every job that I have not won since I started doing this. And I've got the file for that. I've got all the drawings and everything for them. Um, and it's pretty important, in, certainly in the world of business coaching, they really stress that you measure some way how many jobs you're winning versus how many you're losing compared to how many quotes you're doing. So you're winning, yeah. you're winning hundred percent of the work that comes in. If you say that, if you, cause most people will say, and I was one of them. Oh yeah. I, I, I think I get, I'd say like, yeah, 90% of the work that I quote. And they're like, Oh my God, what are you doing at the seminar? Go home in. You should be raking in the money. Yeah. And then you go, oh, oh, how many jobs do I get? And then when you actually keep start tracking that, how much time do you spend quoting work that you don't get? What? Uh, sorry, what counts as a, a job that you don't get? So someone well, sends an email you, you and quote it's that it, way. You quote it and you don't get the job. 
So even if the person is is ultimately super flaky in the beginning, uh, as only, soon as that quote goes out, that's when you say you've the job's on the line. Yeah, if, if I have sent an actual price to someone, that job goes into the yay or nay file. Right. Um, and if it's just tire kicking, emailing, you know, mm. it just is what it is. Um, yeah. So the whole business coaching approach is that you need to be able to measure it, how much time you're putting into those failed quotes. What is it about those quotes that is um, that you're not getting the jobs? Nine times out of 10, I find it's just the client not willing to pay for the thing. Um, but th- there are other, other you know, things around that. Um, so it's something to think about. Um, and it's probably you could consider having to add, say, an extra overhead cost for the lost time of quoting if you're quoting. Mm. Let's say you're quoting 50 jobs a week and you get one, which is probably pretty good going, one job a week coming in, pretty good going. Um, You just spent 49, well, maybe 49 hours. (laughs) You spent an hour quoting a job. Um, Who's paying for that? There's a whole week. Mm. So you need to think about that you know obviously that's an extreme case um but uh and and do you want to add some extra overhead rate to cost to pay for you to 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 do that that costing out i mean i don't personally but um it's something that i'm sure should be thought about by someone Mm. yeah so you guys were both talking about accountants earlier is so joey you've got an accountant yep jordan don't no i wish i I did (laughs) well that was gonna be my question joey could you could you do this without an accountant Um, i guess we could but there's a lot of thinking to doing tax returns and stuff um there's a lot of time and effort that goes into it and you have to be kind of with it you know often by the time we get around to doing a tax return it's like middle of the night you know we me and Holly can sit down together and actually do the thing and no one's in the mind for doing maths. So um, we use Zero, the accounting online accounting software. So all our invoicing goes through Zero. Our accountant can just log on, download all the information they need, put it into the report, put, push send, and it goes off to the the um, government. And we pay so them when, a, a when you say accountant do you mean like you've got dave he's your man you call him up and say dave i need some uh, maybe that's more of a financial advisor but like when i do my tax my personal tax return at the end of the year i go to a company and say here's everything off you go is that is that your interpretation that's what we have we have an accountant except we don't have to take anything physically because it's all digital Mm. and so we i think i've only been there once to actually see them we just they just send us a bill when after they do everything. So, do you have a bookkeeper as well, or is it? No, that's what Holly is doing. So um, she's essentially acting like the bookkeeper. So she's yeah. doing yeah as much of the bookkeeping as she needs to to be able to they get daily work done. So she spends probably two or three hours every Saturday or Sunday, one of those days. She'll go through the books and do catching up on um, dealing with receipts and. Uh, making sure the bank monies add up to what we've spent. Um, yeah. Our, 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 what did they call it? Um, reconciling 
the accounts. Yeah. So that's where I've my massive downfall with my bookkeeping is is that I never reconciled my accounts for the first two years. So I know I don't know what I started with. I don't know what I like kind of should have and all of that sort of stuff. So my my worry about going to a bookkeeper is having to face this embarrassment. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Can you clean this up for me? This is what I, I kind of wanted to talk about this because, uh, and I, I think I had the impression that you kind of work that way and a lot of people do, I think. And um, so when I was saying about keeping track of your costs, if you, if I'm not talking about you guys specifically, just the proverbial you, if you don't keep track of your costs, how much your job costs you? How much? How do you know how much to pay yourself when you get the final bill? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I <laughs> the room I is very quiet because, for a second because I know that if I've paid everything off for that month, then anything that's left uh, in theory. But yeah, okay. um, that's, so that's like Henry of, Ford style of paying bills. Yeah, so I mean, everything is direct debited. Right. Um, and I, out of my business account and then at the end of most months, I won't say every month, I won't lie to our loyal listeners here, but I will check my bank statement, make sure that everything's gone through, I'll compare it with my um, expenses spreadsheet and then I know that I have X amount of dollars yeah. left so in my account. So that's quite a long process. But I'm, I'm used to the monthly pay cycle. Right, yeah, okay. So, Fair enough, yeah. I, I, I guess mean, I work on a, a weekly, ideally, I should have something leaving the workshop every week and I should have some money coming in every week and that's not necessarily going to happen on the dot every time yeah. and there'll be variations. But the idea is to have something coming in and something going out every week, um, whatever that may be. Yeah. So ideally, and I think my my revenue as of now, isn't quite high enough to be too worried. Like, you know, I'm not hitting that 75K a year turnover, mm. so I'm not, I haven't got the worries of um, GST and all of that to worry about oh, okay. just yet. Huh. So... You've got a higher threshold than us. Yeah, our, our threshold's 75,000. Mm. And like last year, like I 20? almost hit it. Okay. Wow, 20 is low. Yeah. Um, last year, I almost hit it, but with that job that... Um, there was a job that would have tipped me over, but it turned out to not actually cost as much. So I was still safe. Mm. Um, and this year I was really considering just registering early, doing it, and I'm kind of glad I didn't. Okay, so there's a whole different question then. So are you, hmm, do you, at the moment you're not charging GST or do you have Goods and services tax. We have GST, but I don't have to charge it because I'm not registered. Okay. So everything that I quote is just that's the amount. That's the amount. Yeah. So do clients ever ask you? One, do clients ever ask you for receipts, GST yep. receipts? And two, um, do they say, "Hey, does this include GST?" I've only had cor- uh, is it corporate commercial? That's what I was looking for. Commercial right. clients ask about GST. Can yeah. you please send me through an invoice with GST? And I just say, look, I, I'm not registered for GST, so I actually can't. Right. And I've never had it turn, like, come back and bite me in the butt. They've yeah. always just said, okay, no worries. Yeah. Um, 
But the benefit of registering for GST is that every time I buy something, I can claim that GST yeah, right. against the yeah. GST I would be claim I would be um, charging. Yeah. So that actually, I would say you should do that anyway because uh, I think it probably will make a difference. Yeah, just being able See, perhaps, to claim it. Perhaps after, I mean, like Cuffy's saying, treat the uh, bookkeeper like the dentist. Just do it <laughs> better later than ever. I reckon I might get that in order so I can really start tracking everything properly mm -hmm. and then register for GSTX. It could just compli complicate things further. Yeah. Maybe. Yes, you're right. It could actually. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right, guys, we're going to have to cut this one off. I think we're sure. going to have to redo this topic again. Yep. <laughs> clearly, this conversation is not over. Um, but yeah, let's quickly get to some questions and then and then talk about um, who we're watching. So, uh, Leroy, a couple of weeks ago, sent me a few questions. So, I wanted to slowly get through those. This is a second question. Um, so, George, or actually, no, I'll put this to Joey first because I think Joey's going to have a good answer for this. Who would be a master craftsman you would either like to work with or learn from? I know you know a lot of designers. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to assume that's anybody living or dead. Um, uh, well, hmm. I think uh, I'd have to say maybe my granddad because mm. uh, that's what he was. He was a master furniture maker. Um, yeah, I think probably that's my first choice. Mm. Um, and after that, if I had to go for someone everyone might know, maybe Sam Maloof. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. Maloof too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like... Uh, a fun guy. Yeah. Now, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know very many woodworkers or designers or craftsmen. Like, I know you guys sometimes throw out these names that I've never heard of. Is that like super important to progress your career, or is it just something that you learn over time through experience who these people are and their designs? Um, yeah, I just, I just learn um, as and when things, pro you know crop up and I'm like, oh, that, oh, that was made by that guy. Oh, and that, that kind of put two and two together over time. I, I don't think it influences me either way. Yeah. I mean, like, do you have a, do you go out and buy the, the, the monthly woodworking magazine and go through all the designers? Oh, I love what that guy's doing. No. You know, is it is like that? I, the only time that, I mean, it's, uh, it's a little bit off topic, but like if I run into a furniture maker that I really love his work, like, or, just his approach to everything i will find that is more valuable to me than reading about everything because you get to kind of ask questions hang out with someone that you kind of look up to in some regards and then you leave that feeling inspired and like i'm doing the the right choice mm. um but i never look at something that's in a print magazine or online and think wow, I'm inspired. It's not until I meet the people. So I think it's important to socialize more than it is to idolize. Okay. For me. Got another one here from uh, Ross at Clash Furniture Makers. That is Ross, hey, Joey? Yep, it's Ross. Yeah. Um, do you guys take a deposit for your jobs? I think we've talked about this before. Jordan, 
You do, don't you? Yeah. So I used to take thirty-five percent on some, like on smaller jobs, and then fifty for the bigger ones. But now it's just fifty percent straight up. Yep. Yep. Fifty percent because generally material costs and just cost of things is generally half the cost. Yeah. Um, so at least I can pay my bills and my suppliers don't get pissed off if the client decides to run. So. Yep. I have to cover materials in the first day or two of labor. Generally, it's just one day that I cover in the in the deposit. But. So you guys, you guys wouldn't take out of your own, your own, um, your own, your profit for that material. You know, right? If, okay. If they it's fail, a, then it's it's a um, it's um, a trust thing. If uh, the client's not willing to pay me money. Why should I be willing to do the work for them for a start? There's got to be some give on both sides. So client has to pay me money. Then I can buy their materials, and that's generally what I tell them. Um, and then they get, once I drop it off, they get generally a seven-day invoice to do the final payment. I will say that on big jobs, generally anything over kind of, I'd say, six seven thousand dollars worth i would possibly ask for a a progress payment because that job's going to take longer than two weeks almost certainly i'm going to need some cash coming in in that time so i will take some photos at at that point send them through the client say here's the next third and the last payment generally will only be a few hundred dollars so i just a bit about get fully paid before the the product's finished Mm. um so, yeah, that makes sense because you can't use that material. I think because we, we talked about this, it was either last week or the week before. That wood, if you buy the wood and then they bail, that wood's no good to you. I mean, it may be in the future, but it's... Yeah. Yeah. Or I might have to try and spend time selling, finishing that piece and selling it or yeah. um, uh, who knows, uh, taking it apart or who, it could be, you know, who knows. So, Yeah. And then the last question, this is from, from Rob. Um, I think I've butchered your surname already once before, Rob, so we'll just leave it at Rob for today. Um, do you vary rates? This is quite interesting. Do you vary rates depending on how busy you are, i.e. your time is in demand? And do you raise your rates over time as you gain reputation? Joey, that's, um, that first part's really interesting. Like, So yeah, I'm just too... I, I, I definitely don't. I don't see, like, I need to make the money I need to make. Um, just because I'm in demand doesn't mean I should make more money. And if anything, to me, that is going to lower the, my demand pretty quickly. I think if you put it on a graph, you would probably be able to see some spikes. Um, I just book people up in a queue, and I would much rather have three months booked up. Um, well, that's about the limit because then people start saying, I don't want to wait that long and they'll just yeah. go to the competitor. Um, yeah. But having at least a month and a half kind of booked up, that's a really nice place to be. And you just, and you just keep the client informed. Yeah. Okay. This job, your job's one more step closer. I just finished this next job. You know, I'm, I'm now going to think about buying the materials for your job. So things like are happening. Pizza's on its way. <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs> just keep in contact with them and they, and they really appreciate it. Yeah. I, I do. Um, charge more for rush jobs so if they come in and they're like i need this done mm-hmm. for tuesday 
And then I'll say, look, I can, but I have to put this one on hold. Mm. So, like, logically, I have to charge more. I mean, I don't have to. But if I don't, then why why would I take this job over that job? Yeah, Um, it's interesting. I don't like the idea of someone being able to buy their way to the front. It's it's not isn't, isn't in my it, mind. It's not buying himself to the front, but it's no. saying that if you have to, you have to move your machine setups. Mm. You know, you might be waiting for something to dry, and you're not yeah. able to do any work anyway. Then, you know, you're going to charge a premium for that. Mm. So, do, you, do you not think, though, that Jordan? Really, you you are justifying you you you're justifying it after the fact. the The bottom line is that we're businessmen, and if we can make more money because of demand, we should be doing that. And and I don't see there's anything wrong with that. If you are the world's top designer, you're not oh, charging absolutely. the same rate. So if if you're if you're in demand because someone wants it today, I I I don't know personally. I think more power to you. I don't think that's greedy. Mm. I think that's just that's just business. I agree. Yeah, totally. I think if I you don't agree, but that's cool. I think that's good. <laughs> I think if you can pay, uh, if you can charge a price in which you're happy with, your client's happy with, and no one leaves feeling ripped off, yeah, then it's justified. Um, I, th- I, th- I think you can create the same amount, the same kind of demand by saying, my, my clients have been waiting for a month and you can't just come in and jump in front you'll need to go and wait at the back of the line and that's what the demand is, is the getting the chance now, to get to the front of the line and you're just going to wait your turn. When and you're saying that, yes, I, I agree. I should be a little bit more clear about what I mean by a rush job. So right. I agree. If someone comes in and they're wanting a, a bed, bed built and I've got another person lined up and I'm working on another project, it will be a flat out no, not until right. X day. Okay. What I'm referring to more is if someone comes in and they're looking for me to machine some timber for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm in the middle of a build, but I can I can squeeze it in. Yeah. It's not going to be any more than a day's work. Yeah, I get you. That's what I'm referring to by charging a yeah. premium. Um, yeah, I guess I've done that. I've just said I, I have done that. Someone's come in, oh, can you dress this piece of wood up? Yeah, sure. It takes me five minutes, but I'm in the middle of something else. Um, yeah, there'll be 25 bucks. Yeah, see, I have a flat rate now because I had heaps of people just coming in. Well, I would say heaps, like two or three a week, <laughs> coming in for simple things. And now I say, look, flat rate is $92 if it's yeah. just a small job. That will cover machine setup and the first hour. And then every hour thereof is like 30 bucks, 30 yeah. bucks. Um, and most people are happy with that. Some people have said, oh, I can do it myself. So why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to sand your stupid panel. Yeah. You can, uh, yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So, who are we watching? I'm going to start this week. Um, there's a guy by the name of John Peters. He's um, he's an artist as well as a, a woodworker. I think he's got a trade or contract background. And this week. Uh, we've been talking about chairs for the last couple of weeks. He recently made an interesting um, chair out of uh, a single sheet of plywood. It was an interesting design. I don't know if I necessarily love it, but just the way he put it together was pretty was was simple but functional, um, and it didn't look too bad. And it was just out of a sheet of plywood, and it was 
I watched the video and I was interested and it, it just caught me because we've been talking the last couple of weeks about chairs and here's a guy who's taken a sheet of plywood, yeah. boom, boom, boom. And he's made it. Um, so the idea of chairs being difficult, they, they don't necessarily have to be. So he, uh, he didn't use the whole sheet up, did he? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. It seems like a I'm, long timber. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty big chairs. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. So it's John Peters. He's been he's been on YouTube for ages. Um, yeah, it's a, a chair from Plywood. I'll have the the link below. Joey, sure. uh, I was doing some research on CLT cross laminated timber, and so there's not one specific video, but mm. there's a whole bunch of really bad videos, and you can kind of <laughs> glean information out of these things. Um, so it's this product uh, that's mainly taking off in Europe and America, where they're making massive plywood, really. They're using what looks like um, 150 by 50s and laying up massive sheets of plywood and they're building like 10-story buildings out of this stuff. Mm. Um, and because when I built my round tabletop earlier this week, I was thinking about doing a cross-laminated mm. because I had the 20 mil stock and I was thinking maybe I should just make like a big piece of two-ply plywood. Yeah, stable as anything. I was really close to doing it. And then I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I could just waste all this timber. It could just explode. I, and, and, and then I couldn't figure out a way to glue it up with, with the tools I have. Uh, mm. It was going to have to be glued up in one go. And there's no way I could have done it by myself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I thought maybe it needed three layers to be more stable and needed than just two layers. It may have mm. been too unstable and oh, i said bugger it i'll do my normal but yeah <laughs> hey on that um the question that just popped to mind is when you laminated the top pieces too thick did you have the like you know the crown of the grain did you look at that and think that oh, i'll make this one go up this one go down so it's laminated um smiley faces because no, i was i was looking at the best faces but yeah okay because um, I've, I've then, never made a tabletop with laminating like that. Yeah, I and, usually do that. I usually do that. Um, I do actually usually pay attention to that with solid with the thicker boards, so it's over and under. Yeah, so the board's going to stay flatter. I I figured because I was making such a big laminate that it didn't really matter. Right which means I probably could have just gotten away with doing a cross lamp when you think about it like that, because it's just going to be stable as all hell. But I just kept second guessing myself. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, Joe, why did you say you needed, do, you needed to do the glue up uh, all in one go? Couldn't you have just glued up the one? Yeah, and turned it 90 degrees. And, yeah, yeah. but then how would I glue up the middle of that? Mm. I mean, I could, I could have put uh, some okay, beams yeah. across. I, I can make some, like, um, what are they, cambered beams. And, mm. and, and glue that up but it was just such a massive surface area there's no way i was going to guarantee a nice laminate join around the perimeter i, I didn't feel yeah no that's true so what i did is i've actually got some uh clips for cross lamination okay in the description uh there were videos that i thought were pretty decent <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's it really interesting stuff um mm. it seemed because and and the reason i asked about the the um clamping is because it looks like when they clamp up the sheets you, you can't just they don't they they glue them all together in yeah. sort of one go so it's They've everything rams both down. ways and yeah mm. so they're clamping yeah. from the sides down, the down everywhere yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty awesome. 
Vacuum bag it. That would be one way, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I think it would be enough. There wouldn't be enough power in the in the vacuum, would there? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. If the joinery was sweet, it'd be right. Yeah. If you, if you weren't forcing the, the timber, it'd be right. Because yeah. these guys, as Joey says, they're using 15 meter by three meter. I like presses. Go up to 400 mil thick. They said the yeah. one video. It's massive stuff. It's huge wow. pieces of timber. It's the German German style, right? Yeah. I'm Just thinking of the right timber, timber made out of like spruce and stuff. Yeah, spruce. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I am thinking yeah. of the right stuff. I, I didn't look at anything yet. One of uh, the one of the videos in the description below is a house here in Australia. This was back in 2015 or 16. Right. Uh, first house in Australia to be built with this stuff. Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. Mm. Um, who was I? Stephen. Stephen. Zhang. Uh, oh, Zhang. No, mm. uh, it's it's pronounced a J. I'm pretty sure. Stephen mm-hmm. Zhang. Uh, he's a Aussie guy. Fairly fairly small channel, but. He does some cool stuff. I think uh, I don't know why I keep finding people that make their own machines. I think it's I've watched one video, so YouTube keeps suggesting more. But I watched a sliding table, like made yeah. his own sliding table video series, even though I'd never make one. But yeah, he must it. only be like he's still at school, right? He's, yeah, he's still in high school, so it would yeah. be like fifteen to seventeen yeah. max. He's done some pretty good. Uh, some well thought out stuff, especially on some of the steel machining. I thought I was yeah. pretty impressed with how his thought pattern was going. I'm kind of like I, I thought oh, I should find out whereabouts his base because if he's Perth based, it'd be cool to like get in touch and have a hang. But then I thought it could be a little bit weird for me to reach out to a schoolboy <laughs> <laughs> and ask him to come to my my factory. <laughs> Oh in God. some dodgy industrial area. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah come, up, come after 6 p.m. because well, they're not too busy. <laughs> yeah, like, it sounds really dodgy. Uh, uh, what a world we live in, eh? Yeah. 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 Probably didn't need to say that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to have to bring this to an end. Um, thanks very much for watching. All the links to what we've been watching will be in the description down below. This uh, uh, podcast will be available on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundCloud. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. We were joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks and Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. I've got it right this time, Jordan. Yeah. So thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you all have a very good weekend, and we will see you again same time next week. See you.